Okay, just go ahead. All right, this is Chris Pennant, basketball columnist for Regal Radio, War Media, here with Patricia Babcock McGraw, sports writer for the Daily Herald since 1997, Indiana State Basketball High School Hall of Famer, one of the best basketball players in Northwestern University history, and play-by-play is a play-by-play or color announcer for the Chicago Sky. All that, all that, I did that, and then this is the one I'm, I'm, I can't figure out. Do you, are, you, are you mainly play-by-play for the Sky, or do you do color? Uh, say that again, Chris. Are you mainly play-by-play for the Sky, um, or do I you do, do color? Uh, color and sideline. Obviously, we have, again, Patricia Babcock-McGraw. She's been on the Sky Beat since I started and before, back in, back in 2015. And it's been – it's obviously it's been a transition. I think everybody who was a Sky fan, whether they were with the team since 06 or whether they've come on in the, in the recent years, the, the trade, the Atlanta Deladon trade is the thing that's first and foremost on their minds. And this is the season – where it seemed like things have really turned around. However, the Sky have been on this slide over the past six games, uh, which extended with that close loss against the Lynx last night. What did you see from, from your perspective? Was there anything in last night's game, especially at the end of the game, where the Sky went on that scoring drought that's been uh, a persistent over the season? Have they just had stretches where they, where they still kind of look like they're, they're piecing things together? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a very young team. Um, you know, you do have some veterans in Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, Gentle Lavender, but, um, you know, a lot of players on this team are very, very young, very inexperienced in, in terms of uh, the WNBA. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of inexperience is going to show in a tight late game situation like that where you're needing to – come up with a big shot or create a big shot, set up a big shot. Um, and I just think that, um, that that kind of reared its head in that, in that game against Minnesota. And um, I think that that's a good learning situation for this guy. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, as, as time goes along this season, um, the, these kind of games are, are going to be of, of value to this young team and maybe, that kind of situation will uh, fall in this guy's favor the next time. Um, so, you know, I know that Allie quickly ended up um, trying to take that last shot, but still a lot of youth on the, on the floor in the final minutes in which, you know, other situations that maybe could have won the game for this guy didn't really uh, go this guy's way. Maybe some shots that were taken shot selection that, that uh, really, you know, maybe, older, more veteran players would have chosen more wisely. And so I think that um, there's so much talent on this team, Um, you know, so so many things to be excited about with these young players, but just making those veteran decisions um, in crunch time when the the pressure is really on, I think is something that a lot of these players are still learning about. A little bit of what what came up in the postgame last night was the start that they had. And just in my columns on the team, I noticed early on that they would have real, in terms of just kind of the the flow of the game, they would have depressions or or spots where they really went down in the middle quarters. But last night, they just had a really bad start against the Lynx defense that was really pressing and um, 
yeah. forcing them. Yeah, I thought that the uh, Minnesota Lynx were very physical early on. They kind of set a tone that maybe, um, you know, kind of pushed the sky back a little bit, got got them on their heels a little bit from a physical standpoint. I thought they're there was just a lot of contact and, and that that's something that makes uh, young players think as well. That's something that gets into the heads of young players. And so I thought Minnesota was smart in their approach and in, in kind of setting uh, that, that tough tone early on. Um, and, you know, in terms of how the sky, you know, whether they're, they come up with a strong uh, first quarter, but then kind of, um, you know, go south a little bit or go soft a little bit in the second and third quarters, or maybe like last night's game, they didn't start as well, but then had a better finish. I mean, I think that that is also the mark of a very young team where that inconsistency, you just cannot, uh, you know, really predict one way or the other, how they're going to come out, how they're going to finish, you know, what, what they're going to be like coming out of halftime. Um, I think that that really is a characteristic of a, of a, a young team that doesn't have a lot of uh, veteran uh, leadership on it. And I'm not saying that the veterans who are on the team aren't doing a good job with, with uh, leading and trying to set a tone, but there's just so many young players on this team that play a lot of minutes. Um, and that, you know, that, that kind of leads to some inconsistency problems. And I think that that's really one of the sky's biggest problems is that, you know, I mean, they'll go and, reel off a few wins in a row, but then they'll lose a few games in a row. And, you know, the, the more veteran experienced teams, the more the teams that are more comfortable in their skin, so to speak, um, don't, don't see those big swings like that. They're more even keel. Going into that a little bit more with the younger players on this team, Gabby Williams is in her second year, Kalia Coppers mm-hmm. in her second year, even with Katie Lou, and even, um, even though Jameer Faulkner's uh, a veteran by kind of a WNBA standards if you go in a few years. She's had this last year out with um, injury and just was just ready to dress. Yeah, she hasn't even played uh, much the last couple of years. Right. What what have you seen? What's Coach Wade and his staff, what are they doing to develop develop those players um, under a new, under this new mindset? what's What's his mindset? What's his goal? Well, I think that he is uh, definitely looking for to, to kind of um, uh, fully develop all these players like in a, a well-rounded way. I mean, if you like take Gabby Williams, for example, you know, last year when she came in as a rookie, she was really playing um, more of a, um, a post player role. And she was undersized and outmatched uh, physically in a lot of games, but she was very tough and, and uh, she held her own and, I thought she did a pretty good job uh, for, for a rookie in that situation, um, especially with uh, some of her physical lim- limitations size-wise. And um, and now, you know, she has been asked to completely change her role on this team, and she's the backup point guard to Courtney Vandersloot. And so I feel like uh, Coach uh, James Wade is, is really trying to see kind of exactly how much he can get out of all these players, because I think his real goal is to play positionless basketball. I mean, if you look, I mean, he's really kind of uh, taken the lid off the basket and, and, and turned that shooting light to, to green all the time for everybody. I mean, you've got a lot of the bigs are not afraid to shoot threes. Um, you've got players kind of floating between positions, playing different positions. Um, you know, maybe they're uh, on the perimeter on offense, but they're guarding interior players on defense. Um 
I think that he really just wants to to uh, develop all of these players uh, into more well-rounded players that he can use in um, a variety of situations. And, um, you know, that's, that's a tall task when you're dealing with a lot of young players who are still kind of used to their co- collegiate roles and what they did at the college level, which may have only been just one or two things. And so, um, so I think that that's like a little bit of a work in progress too, kind of seeing for coach Wade, what he can get out of all of these different players and maybe pushing them, um, you know, beyond their limits or out of their comfort zone to kind of take on different roles on the team and maybe different roles than they're used to. How difficult is that? Not just for Gabby, but for other players, especially when you have a short season and you're trying to not only gel as a team, but the expectations are high now. There's a lot of fans and players around, a lot of fans and people around the team are looking at this like a chance to get back to the playoffs for the first time since Atlanta. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, um, I, I think that there's definitely um, some high expectations, a high bar, a little bit of, of pressure there, um, trying to get back to the playoffs um, with a very young team. And, and there isn't a lot of time. You're right. The turnaround is very quick from when these players come in from their overseas um, obligations to, to starting up uh, in the WNBA and, and trying to, to learn everything and to gel together as a team. Um, I think that makes it um, very difficult. Um, but, you know, every, every piece of feedback I've ever gotten from any of these players uh, about coach Wade and his system and kind of the way he does things and the way he interacts with players and how he teaches and, and the feedback that he gives has been really positive. I mean, these players use the term players coach and, you know, that means different things to different people, but, I think just overall, I, I think these players kind of like the way that he relates to them. I, I think that he gives tough love when needed, but is also, you know, uh, understanding of, of how tough it is to be a WNBA player, what the time constraints are, um, you know, how these players are, you know, jammed to learn so much in such a short period of time. And so I do think that he has a little bit of empathy for them, which the players appreciate. So, um, you know, even though it's a tall task and um, this franchise is trying to get back on the positive side and back into the postseason with a lot of young players, I, I feel like um, they all seem to kind of be uh, optimistic and confident that they can pull that off um, just because of the tone that has been set from a very early stage by um, Coach Wade. Uh, you've been covering um, not only this team, but sports around the area for for um, about 20, over 20 years mm-hmm. now. And the since basically since yeah, their inception, you, when you look at this group, what do you see um, coming from them? Not, you know, not just this year, uh, their growth. And that's going from Katie Lou Diamond uh, all the way up and down the lineup. What do you see as their, their heights they can reach in the next few years? Well, I um, I do like kind of just the well-roundedness of this team. Um, I, I each, if you look at each individual player and kind of their skill set and what they can do, um, I like the athleticism of this team. I like the um, the length of this team. I mean, it's not like a super tall team, but I feel like in each position you've got some some taller players um, who um, use their use their length well um, and have some speed. And a lot of really good shooters, like I was saying before. I mean, you've you know you've got Cheyenne Parker and Jantel Lavender shooting threes. Um, Diamond DeShields has really 
uh, done a nice job since last year and working on her long range shot. And she's feeling more confident in taking three pointers. And, you know, obviously you've got Allie Quigley, one of the best three point shooters in the WNBA right now, you know, Steph Dolson can hit threes. Um, you know, Gabby can hit threes. Kalia um, Copper can hit threes. And um, because of that, because you have so many shooters who are confident at um, you know, pulling up from long range, that really opens up the offense. I, I like, um, in general, in, in most games, the way that the Sky's offense runs, not only when they're pushing the ball in transition, but in the half court. I think they do a great job of spacing the floor. I think they play unselfish basketball. You know, they, they frequently have say if they make you know 26 baskets they'll they'll have like 22 assists like they do do a great job of of really sharing the basketball moving it around um you know making the extra pass so i I like the flow um of the offense i think sometimes in crunch time you know shot selection might be an issue who's taking what shots from what position that kind of thing and that's where that inexperience comes into play and I also think, you know, defense um, um, has been suspect sometimes and, and rebounding um, has, has been uh, an issue in, in some games. And so just things like that that are, you know, like defense, um, the players often tell me is, is, believe it or not, one of the toughest things to transition to from, from the college game and with a new coach and kind of learning a new defensive system and the rotations and, and how you play together as a unit. Last night, uh, one of the things that Coach uh, Wade said was that, you know, they were they were kind of playing um, defense uh, individually and not really working together at times. And um, and so, you know, just being able to kind of come together like that when you have a young team and, and uh, a lot of players who are only a year or two removed from college, learning that, um, those kind of intricacies sometimes takes a long time. So, um so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like this is a team with a lot of potential and um, there are a lot of areas in which I think that they do a really nice job. It's just maybe fine tuning some of these other areas that's going to take some time. But, but like you said, I mean, there's not a lot of time in the WNBA season. And that's one of the biggest issues. You know, it's just uh, there's not a lot of time to figure it out. And this year. There's so there. I feel like there's a lot of parity in this league um, and you don't really have a, a dominant team, but that also means that any team that you play has the capability of beating you. So there's, there's not a lot of time or margin of error to, to figure things out when you're a young team, you kind of have this kind of baptism by fire. You kind of have to figure it out uh, as you go along. Uh, moving out to the, to the rest of the league, as you were talking about the parody in the rest of the league with the injuries that there have been to Brianna Stewart, and um, Angel McCautry was out early as well with was um, Candace Parker and uh, Maya Moore taking the season off. But the All-Star Game starters announced today, um, Atlanta Deladon, Asia Wilson, of course, that you would expect. Uh, John Cole Jones is having a fantastic season. Uh, Liz Cambage, Brittany Griner, Natasha Howard. Um, so the sky, as you kind of would expect, even, even with the, the quality of play, the players that they've had didn't have a starter voted. But who do you expect to see uh, from the sky at the All-Star? Well, I would hope that Courtney Vandersloot um, would become a reserve. Um, uh, I think that uh, she's just, I mean, with, with you know, with Suber out, she's got to be the best point guard in the league. And uh, maybe even with Suber in, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, 
you know, Courtney's in her ninth year and um, I've watched her her entire career. I remember talking to her on draft night and um, she's always had skills and, and she's always been very talented, but um, she is just really coming to her own in terms of the way she handles a team, the way that she can just be a floor general and um, her confidence and her, her um, the way that she is able to set up her teammates is almost second to none in the WNBA. She just has this knack of getting her teammates the ball exactly where uh, they need it. And yet she also still has um, such a good arsenal herself of, of, of moves that really uh, makes a, a defender have to guard her honestly. And so, um, you know, she is leading the league in assists and um, I, I think she's just been solid and um, sometimes overlooked though, because there are so many great guards in the WNBA and that has been an issue with her receiving postseason recognition and, and, and things like that. But um, I would like to see her, be on the all-star team as a reserve. And I I think that she has an excellent shot of that. Um, You know, Allie quickly is putting up maybe not as uh, great of numbers as she has in the past, but she's still shooting the ball. Well, Uh, I I talked with her one time. I said, Hey, you know, your numbers are down. And she's like, well, actually I'm shooting the ball better than I have been. And, you know, she's up near 47, 48% field goal percentage from three point range. So she's, uh, maybe not getting as many opportunities as she has had in the past. And, and that's might be just scouting reports and, and people trying to, you know, jam her up a little bit and, and guarding her tighter. But um, she is very efficient when she does get the basketball um, at, in her spots. So um, I think those two, um, I mean, I, there have been, you know, I don't, you know, the, the league is just, so deep with talent and so I don't know how much further we can go beyond that but I think that Diamond to Shields has uh, shown some really really uh, nice moments um, you know even you can talk about uh, Janta Lavender and Cheyenne Parker have uh, really been solid for this guy as well I don't know that you can go that deep in a league like this but um, that's what I mean about just this guy in general though there's there's a lot of depth and a lot of people who contribute um, a lot of important things and now it's just a matter of bringing it all together and that alley quickly, um, what you said about her, I mean, was it's it's really on display last night during the game because obviously Sim started out guarding her and she couldn't loose. And then she ends up with 24 points in the second half. She was just catching and shooting with like the quickest release that I've seen live, honestly. It was well, incredible that is to watch. Why she is so tough to guard. I mean, that ball is just uh, barely you know, settling in on her fingertips before it is uh, off towards the basket. So um, that's what's maddening about her for defenders to try to stop her. It's so, so quick (laughs) with that shot. But I'll tell you, I was listening, you know, I was doing sideline last night and I was listening in on both huddles. And um, at the very beginning of the game, the the links were like uh, just that they were all about. Uh, defending Allie quickly. I mean, they, they, that was seemed to be their number one defensive objective. They wanted to stop her. They wanted to prevent her from even catching the basketball. And um, like you said, Sims uh, had some success with that, but they, they could not maintain that uh, with Allie quickly. And she was able to, you know, get a game high 24 points anyway, like you said. So, um, you know, I think that that's one of the things that makes her special that even with the attention, sometimes she's still able to score just because she's such a pure shooter and um, her shot is so good that if she does get an opportunity, even with defense in her face, she's she's going to knock down a lot of shots. 
Uh, extending out to um, the WNBA again on, on the whole, um, the new commissioner starts next week. And it's the first time in, in league history that there's been a commissioner. And after this past, I think, year and a half or two years where the league has – the players in the league and you know, women's sports as a whole has just made a, a colossal move, just a, a, a sea change towards equality, equity, equal pay, better travel, and really displaying that um, – amplifying that information um I, I don't know if you saw the the tweet thread from uh, natalie Achonwa on the on the indiana fever when they were stuck yeah. on the, with the coach flight to get their flights rescheduled right. all that, that. yeah what do you see happening with with carrie engelbrecht does she because she talked about that with madeline penny at the sun times what do you see changing in the in the next few years with the wnba uh in terms of the money situation uh, you know, I'm not really sure um, because, you know, on the one hand, uh, I would love to see these women get more money so they didn't have to go overseas because I, I think one of the biggest um, uh, shortcomings of the league is the, um, the, the physical toll that these women take all year long. You know, they go overseas and they're playing a, a typical like a college basketball schedule over there maybe even more games in some instances uh and then they are you know coming over and within a week or two you know starting training camp with their WNBA teams and then you know when they're finished here they might have a week or two uh of a break and then they're going back um overseas again and just that uh level of, of pounding and just physical pressure that these women are under um pretty much all year long it really takes its toll and i think it takes a toll on the product but um and so you know how do you how do you stop that well you know obviously if you can pay these women more maybe they don't feel the need to go overseas and and supplement their incomes however you know and i've written columns about this i mean um it's it's really um a case of um you know uh dollars and cents, you know, and what the WNBA is bringing in and what they can afford to pay these players and still um, exist. And um, I think that I, I, you know, one of the things that I think is going to make uh, Kathy Engelbert special is just her business background. You know, she was the first female CEO of a, of a major consulting firm, which was, I believe, Deloitte. Um, she, she has, yep. you know, a really good business acumen in terms of you know, maybe coming up with different ways to, to market this league or to generate advertising dollars or sponsorship dollars, um, things that maybe people haven't thought of yet, maybe outside the box kind of things, you know, I mean, the, the WNBA is already, you know, doing more of the um, advertising on the jerseys. Maybe there's something else like that that could be directly fed to the players, um, because I think the product, while it's um, the best in the world, I think could be even better and you would avoid situations like Maya Moore taking the year off I think mostly because you know as she says it's family but I think she's probably tired you know uh, Diana Taurasi took a year off because she was tired and needed the break and and so when those kind of things happen I mean if you think about 
all of the uh, players who were out this year, you know, Brianna Stewart um, busts up her Achilles tendon because uh, she gets hurt in an overseas basketball game. And Sue Bird is out and, you know, she's an older player, but, you know, the mileage that she's put on her body and just, you know, Angel McCautry, um, some of these players who uh, have just put so much mileage on their bodies. And when you have some of the best players in your league, not playing, that is not good for business. And so there's got to be something uh, that the WNBA and the Players Association figures out, something outside the box that maybe people haven't thought of or people, you just, you know, maybe it hasn't been seen in professional sports, but yet maybe you try it, something uh, in which some additional revenue can be generated because, you know, you don't want to make promises and, you know, yeah, I, I feel bad. These women have to fly commercial and they're, you know, they're six foot four sometimes and they're cramming into these uh, little planes and, and, you know, they're, they're flying in the night before and they're exhausted, but you also can't make promises that, you know, you can't keep that could destroy the league. That's going to be no good for anybody. So I, I, I think that, um, you know, Kathy Ingobert's going to have her hands full a little bit, but she has some great experience on her side with having been a businesswoman for so long. She also is a former college basketball player, so she kind of knows the struggle from that standpoint, too. I think she's going to bring a lot of really good ideas uh, to to help this league figure out a way to keep these um, players here in the United States and healthy and um, and playing. You know, we want them playing. We don't want them on the sidelines injured or exhausted. All right, Patricia, I appreciate the time you've taken with us. Just one last thing. With the move this year from Allstate to Wintrust Arena, how have you seen that affect the, the team and the fans? Has it increased fan excitement and attendance for the team to be playing within Chicago, especially in the South Loop that's kind of really taking off in terms of real estate and property? Yeah, it's been a couple of years now at Wintrust, and um, uh, I think it's just uh, maybe uh, partly a, a different um, demographic, uh, maybe a lot of South Siders, uh, you know, city fans, fans from the city, um, but it's a, it's a beautiful uh, stadium. DePaul plays there um, in the winter, and they've really done a great job with all the amenities there. It feels like a you know first class arena, um, you know, like an NBA arena. I mean, the you know the um, the scoreboard and the the video board are, are really nice. The acoustics in there are nice, and um, it um, just really has a first class feel. And I know that the players really enjoy being there. There's not a bad seat in the house, and so uh, you know fans get a great experience when they go there. So um, it, the crowds uh, seem to be um, doing doing really well there. And I, I think I read somewhere where uh, last night they had uh, 8,000 there. So that's pretty good. Uh, this guy. So uh, I think it's, uh, I think that they, this guy really likes uh, the move to win trust. All right. Once again, uh, Patricia Babcock McGraw, sideline and play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Sky Daily Herald sports writer since 1997. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to talk basketball with us and hopefully we get to have you on again. In the oh, future. you're very welcome and call anytime. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Once again, Chris Pennant for War Media talking WNBA Chicago Sky basketball.
right. All right, people. Good people. This is your man, Kyle Means, editorial director, WeAreRegalRadio.com, War Media. We are in the building right now, and we are building with my man, Chris Pennant. He just got through cooking up something really nice for y'all that we're, uh, you're going to hear pretty soon. I guess, I guess you'll probably, I'll probably edit, I'll probably stitch it together with this, make it to a little mini running with war thing. Cause we about to get into some NBA stuff too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Chris was doing some building with Patricia Babcock on some WNBA stuff. You, you'll like it. Talking about the sky and all, uh, all the good, good hoopers over on that side. But the NBA, man, they greedy with that, with that, with that limelight, man. Just as Chris is wrapping up with Patricia, it, the, everything comes across the wire as it is, as, you know, metaphorically, Twitter and everything. People texting me and stuff about this trade. West, Russell Westbrook, they said they wanted to do it sooner rather than later. And uh, I, after not much time, like they said, Russell Westbrook is out of uh, not even yeah not even a week you know uh, since Paul George has been gone Russell Westbrook the franchise guy of uh, the guy who you most associate with Oklahoma City is gone from that team as well and he's headed to Houston traded essentially for Chris Paul a bunch of picks stuff is involved into uh, uh, maybe Chris maybe you want to get into that but you know but the but the main thing here is that Chris Paul is out of Houston, headed to Oklahoma City for the time being, maybe. Maybe he'll be a buyout. I don't know. But but you know, he's he's Oklahoma City's problem now. And Westbrook is showing up Houston's problem and maybe the rest of the league's problem. Cause he is back in the saddle with his guy James Harden. And man, this this summer just keeps getting wilder and wilder with the NBA, man. It's crazy. It's, first of all, you said show enough, so I got to do it. Am I the baddest? <laughs> Am I the prettiest? Russell's going to be saying that as soon as he lands the play. <laughs> right. But this is this is probably one of the first times that we've seen, just because of free agency being what it is, that it's – I was going to say a player didn't have the hold all the cards, but I got to reverse myself because that's wrong. Houston was on Russell's trade list according to um, – the basketball rehab that I found on Twitter. And so even though Miami Heat couldn't get it done, the Houston Rockets couldn't get it done. I don't want to say I don't want to start talking yet about what this means for their team and their future um, in the in this year. But you just gotta marvel at all the player movement and the redistribu- the redistribution of wealth. Honestly, if if something like this happened in US economics. I can't, it's hard to even fathom or describe. It would be like if a bunch of people left New York and moved to uh, or Kansas City or something like that. It's weird, it's weird to think <laughs> about. All of these great players are just now blatantly, like I, I dismissed it at the time, but blatantly when Kyrie and Kevin Durant were talking in the All-Star game hallway, just blatantly checking with each other, talking to each other about where they want to go, do they want to play with each other, and where. And I'm not saying it's bad. I really am not. It's just so different. The balance of power has shifted 
so far to the players in the NBA. I don't know if there's another league, if there's another professional league in the world like that. Uh, even even with soccer, even with um, Premier League or something like that, players get these gigantic contracts that yeah. you know you know play. We think basketball contracts are, are crazy high. You know, check what Cristiano Ronaldo made in the last year, and you it'll be like it's nothing. It's nothing to him. But even those players don't have that much power. They can move and play wherever they want, but the coaches that they play with, the schedules that they play, like the year-round competition, 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 the NBA isn't even close to that for what the money these guys are making, and they have the power to command their destinations. It's unseen, unheard of in in this country, probably in this century, in sports period, and People who are still fans of, of labor unions have to be honestly if, if they're if they really watch the NBA, they gotta be loving stuff like this. It's incredible. So Russell Westbrook in Houston with Chris Paul is the small news, but sorry to bring it out to that big picture thing. It's still hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah, in the end, do you think that this is the move as opposed to Miami or elsewhere? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> really the the Rockets are they they're not a punchline, but they're kind of that snide joke at the party where you like whisper about them behind their back, because Daryl Morey for so long has been at the forefront of this analytical revolution in basketball, and this is going all the way back to when they still had Yao Ming in the late two thousands, uh, the first part of the decade. Um, I, there's something in Bill Simmons' book where he talks about different stats that need to be kept on like the box score. And he talks about uh, defensive stops and nitty gritties like hustle plays, keeping the ball in bounds, catch, checking the 50, 50 ball, winning a jump like that. And he has a, a spot in there. One where he talks about just like Shane Battier would lead the, the league in nitty gritties. And, you know, he was with the Rockets for a long time. And there was another part where I think he was talking about chemistry and defensive players. And he asked Daryl Morey about it. And Maury winked at him and said, why do you think we still have Chuck Hayes? So this has been this has been the most scientific, analytical, statistic, you know, statistically based team for so long. And now they're bringing in the dude that plays 36 minutes a night and puts up 25 shots and gets triple doubles like every week, twice a week. Will it work? I don't know. I mean, he's back with James Harden. They've been they've been cordial. They've been friends before, so there shouldn't be any issue with that. But Russell, those were both different players back then. Harden was coming off the bench, and Russell was the clear number two to KD. Now both of these guys are MVPs. Both of these guys are used to having the ball in their hands. Both of these guys are used to commanding their teams. I don't know if it'll work just because of that. I mean, Russ is getting a little bit older. James Harden's dealt with some injuries. And they still got to put it together. That's the big thing. They still have to put themselves together to be a consistent team because they're not a LeBron team. They're not a Golden State that can say, we can win you know, 52 games and still make it to the finals. They haven't done that. Neither of these guys have done that. Um, when they were with the Thunder, they got to the finals in 2012. But they had to be, and they did have to beat some good teams to get there, but there was a little luck involved. 
and they got you know 4-1 by the Miami Heat. So they're really going to have to put things together. I think they're going to have to win a lot of games to get that confidence to get to that final stepping stone. So I don't know if this team is a finals team. I don't know if this team is a conference finals team just by adding Russell Westbrook. But it'll be exciting as hell to watch. Right. I was going to say, I know they're a league pass all-star <laughs> right. teams. They're they a goddamn uh, Thursday night, late Thursday night game all-star team. You know how bogus this is? We're in Chicago. <laughs> all these West Coast teams now are going to be like, you got to watch. You know how late that is? Like, I love the Blazers. I can't stay up late enough to watch Blazers games, man. And now you got LeBron and AD in L.A., Kawhi and Paul George on the Clippers, and then Russ and Hart. At least that's like central time, so you can deal with that. But a lot yeah, of times yeah. they're going to be playing these West Coast teams. So that's, that's not – hey, NBA, man, yo, NBA, PA, y'all got to get some players to come over east. Get some, get some dude to come to the Pistons or something, man. Maybe 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 the buyout. Let's look at the buyout market, maybe for CP. Maybe maybe that's know. maybe that's a destination for. Maybe I'm somebody was. I just saw on Twitter somebody was trying to put out the Lakers in the air. I don't know if that's going to work though. I don't. You know, Chris Paul just being the person that he is is just. I don't know that he would be willing to subvert himself, and that's not a knock on Chris Paul. That really isn't. Yeah. He's such a great player. You know he's so hard-nosed that everybody talks about what a dirty player he is. Hmm. But would I don't think he would be willing to subvert himself as a man to the demands of, of LeBron James. That's his guy, though. I just don't – I don't see it working. Even you know, even if guys are friends, if you got the banana boat squad, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just – I really don't. Especially at this point in his career. Like, he really wants that ring – I still think there's a lot of Chris Paul that wants to get that ring. Oh, and people has say to. Chris Paul won this championship. You know, not well, Chris I, Paul I, won this with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. That may be beyond him, but I, I know he has to want to get a ring. Oh, and, for sure. For and sure. he has to be looking at you know now that he's in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that's that window has to be pretty close to shut. Right. I don't. Him. I don't. The people are talking about he's, they're going to either buy him out or look for try to flip him in the trade, and I would. I would look for that to happen pretty soon. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they would. They would keep Chris Paul on long term, uh, even for a year, even as a, even as like the face of their rebuild, because he wouldn't want to be there. And for all the mistakes that Oklahoma City management has made since 2010, I don't think they would want him to be there to just kind of sink their rebuild. It does. It doesn't really make sense. Right. So with that said, what would you? Where would you think he would make the most impact if, and if he gets traded or buy or bought out? Funnily enough, I don't think that they have it. Chris Paul on the Bucks would be fantastic, mm. especially since they lost Malcolm Brogdon to the right. Pacers. Um, Eric Bledsoe would still fit because he can slide over the shooting guard. Yeah, and he can play. He's a great defender, so he could take some of that pressure off Chris Paul. Chris Paul now that he's getting older can't stay in front of everyone like he used to, and even can't get the pickpocket steals that he used to. I don't know if the Bucks could swing that in the trade because they they already lost one important piece, and I don't know who else that they could give up to Oklahoma City. However, we just said Oklahoma City's in a rebuild. Yeah, yeah they're, man, they're so probably not looking for much. Yeah, they might be willing to take draft picks or yeah. guys off the bench. Yeah. So Milwaukee really jumps out to me as a contender because it would be – it would just help their team – 
And when they have when they get in the spots where they have trouble and have, and look to Giannis to bail them out at the end of the shot clock, they wouldn't have to. Because Chris Paul's a proven guy who can play one on one, get buckets, or get fouled. And and I, I think even more than that, I think Chris could run the offense in a way that could allow for Giannis to maybe have easier shots. Oh, most definitely. Because I was still I think I would still want at this point, John is to have the ball late in the shot clock in tight games, but you can have Paul set him up better than if Giannis is at the at the top of at the top of the key running the offense himself and trying to make a play. Right. Giannis playing one on one. I saw it last year that it wasn't working well when Boston got him in the facing the basket. Giannis with his back to the basket, and I don't know if his back to the basket game is as good as it can be yet, and he's still so young. But Giannis with his back to the basket should be damn near unstoppable at this point. Yeah. He's, he's that tall. He's that strong. He's that mobile. And so if you get a guy like Chris Paul, it's not dumping the ball down into him, but it's getting him the ball in a spot where he can where he can, he can can operate right. with 10 seconds left and operate in such a way where if they collapse, you have open shooters. If they don't collapse, it's, it's cookies. Yeah. I like, I like, I like that you said Milwaukee because – I think that make, I think that solidifies them as the best team in the East if if that somehow happens, and if if see if you, if you say someone like uh, Detroit, then that probably puts them from the bottom forward to possibly the top, maybe four four five or six at least in the East if the, if they get on it. I don't outside of. Like most teams are pretty set with point guards. At least they either have a young point guard or they got, or they got real good. You know, you know especially the contending teams. Mm-hmm. So I don't know uh, who if you think they, right, still, they still got Reggie Jackson, and he's just never become what he should have. I mean, I really want him can't, to be right. So. You can't expect nothing like nothing as far as winning goes. And then they got Ishmael. So yeah, Ishmael. Yeah, that's that's not gonna work. So I don't I don't know maybe or. You no, know, maybe he. Maybe what about Miami? Maybe for Paul. Miami would be interesting. They've been, you know, they've been doing all. They've been making all these moves, but having Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler on the same team just really seems like. Do you ever? Do you ever? Um, <laughs> you ever take magnesium? They have magnesium in science class, and they have it in the oil. Do you ever take magnesium out in the air, and they just start sparking and popping off because it's so <laughs> volatile. That's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like. It would be. If you put Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler together on the same team, so I that'd be the that'd be a grimy ass team. It that'd would be. be, but I don't think that's a I don't think that's a conference finals team, and so that's why I don't think that Chris Paul would want to go there. Phoenix would be low key interesting because it's their second year with Aiton. They've got Devin Booker. They. I can't remember who they who they picked up as their did they pick Larry yes. Williams up as their coach or is he in Los Angeles? I'm screwing up. Oh god! Yeah. No, no, Monty, Monty's not in LA. He's uh, I think yeah, I think they do have him. So they got Monty Williams, who's a solid coach. I think he was on with Chris Paul in New Orleans when the Hornets were still in New Orleans for a quick second. So it's somebody that he knows, and he would be a veteran there again. They're still in the West, so not maybe not a conference finals team, but at the very least, an interesting fit and a team that he could take to the playoffs. And that would be at least people say, hey, Chris Paul led this group. With, like, he made these guys better. That would be invaluable for them. That would be discern- – yeah, that would be a discernible improvement. 
And it just confirmed Monty. Yeah, Monty Williams is the Suns coach. And I don't. I, again, I don't know if that was that's what he wants because at this point he's probably looking to get into a situation where we're a surefire playoff team already, yeah. Rather than a team that we're looking to we're looking to get there. Uh, but but he, I mean, he does have Sac. Well, yeah, they got swiped. Well, they, they got, and they got yeah, they got yeah, Darren Fox. They got swiped. But but he he's got what three years on that contract? Chris oh. Paul or Darren Fox? Paul, I think he got like three years at least. But it something like the Suns might actually in that time frame, maybe you could, you know, do a worst to first thing in that time. It would be yeah, in three years. Be and and you figure you know as much as Chris has fell off as a as a you know he's he's not gonna fall off as a passer and and a distributor so I think if like you put him on a team like the Suns you, he's got people to to distribute the ball to consistently he doesn't have to really do much as far as carrying the team at all right and even in that situation where we talked about having him be the end of the game guy with the ball in his hands, if you need a mid-range jump shot, you do have Devin Booker for that. He's a volume scorer. He's kind of like Zach Levine in that respect. But if you need to, you don't have to just rely on Chris Paul at the end of the game. You have Devin Booker there already. Whereas in Milwaukee, like we talked about before, there really wasn't that kind of a guy. And that's kind of what hurt them last year in the playoffs. Yeah. And looking at Paul's contract, he's 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 uh it goes through the 21-22 season with in which he's gonna make forty four point two million dollars. Of course, that's that's what the big thing with him is that his contract is so massive. You know, he's 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 on the hook for thirty eight five next year, forty one point three the year after that, and then the final year is forty four two. So yeah, three more seasons. That's what you would have if you take on if you take on this contract. Well, the salary cap is just so high. It would still be a lot for a team to eat, but the salary cap is so high, and it doesn't really seem to be going down. Yeah. It's not that it's not that big of a deal for teams. And if they really want to, I don't know if they do deferred money contracts in the NBA, but I was reading up on <laughs> Make him the next Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> and it's funny, not to diverge from the topic, but there's so many other guys that we don't talk about who you know, like we talk about Bobby Bonilla because it seems so wild that he hasn't played in 10 in 15 20 years but he's still getting paid. Albert Pujols is going to get a bunch of money right after he starts right after he retires. And Bruce Sutter, if anybody's listening is a real baseball fan, Bruce Sutter went into the Hall of Fame in like the early 2000s. And I think the Cardinals or the Angels just like finished paying him money on a deferred uh, money contract, on a deferred like payout contract. Mm. That's wild. So if they if that's allowed in the CBA, which it might not be, then somebody could just shift the burden on to later if they really want to for Chris Paul. Right. But I'd have to read the CBA, and I have a feeling it, it probably isn't. Yeah, because I, I think we probably would have heard about something like that something. at this point with and, the NBA. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And you figure David Stern would have. After the the spirits of St. Louis thing, probably <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Shut down any any crazy. Yeah, we yeah, no more free money. <laughs> you know, Stern wouldn't have that shit. But yeah, this another wild night, man. Following the NBA, man. I 
was, I was see, originally I wanted to just do this quick segment, get you to talk, get you to respond because I didn't, I haven't got you to respond yet on the stuff that happened last week. The stuff that's already happened. So, while well, we we still got about ten minutes here, man, what what do you think so far about this this free agent trade season and uh, acquisition season? And you know, now we I say now we got this icing on the cake here with Westbrook and Paul, but. It's already been wild, man. It's, it's been wild. It's weird for me as a fan because I want I want what I had with Jordan. And that took a lot of maneuvering behind the scenes, obviously. And MJ got lowballed a lot. But when, when I was a kid growing up, these guys were with their teams for damn near ever. Like Carl Malone played for the Lakers. But he and Stockton were with the Jazz from the mid '80s to the late '90s. Reggie Miller stayed with the Pacers his whole career. Yeah, mostly, I mean, mostly back in the day when when team guys were straight washed when they moved on. Right when they yeah America. when they left they were damn near done. But yeah. Pippen was Pippen still had a couple uh, years left. Yeah, he went to Houston and then to Portland. Bulls thing that was a unique thing. Right, but it just seemed like even you know players moved around. But looking like Patrick Ewing, Starks. Um, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, these were the guys that stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed. And stayed. But you forget about Ewan's last couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he was with um, Orlando and then, then Seattle, Seattle, yeah, yeah. and then Juan yeah. went to the Raptors. But well, now, it allowed guys to really be associated with one franchise. And now that's that is happening in the span of maybe five years, mm-hmm. where Kevin Durant played with Seattle, then OKC. For seven, was it eight or seven or eight years? I think I want to say. Oh, shoot! I I think it may be eight. Yes, yeah. And he he was obviously the face of the franchise, and we'll remember Kevin Durant's Thunder years. But it's I don't know how it is for you, but it's already kind of faded into the past for me, partially because how how seismic his move to Golden State was. Right, and and we make things. So inconsequential now if they don't lead up to championships. That's true, too. It's like this time with this franchise, how much did it matter? Like Carmelo Carmelo with the Knicks is still big in New York. But I remember Carmelo as a nugget almost as well as I remember him with the Knicks just because they went to the playoffs that one time. Yeah, they had they had he had a deeper run in, in Denver than he had during, during this time in, in New York. Yeah. So you, you're really, as a fan, as a fan of a team, you're really losing out on that 10-year franchise player for the most part. Damian Lillard is probably the closest thing we'll have to that. And at some point, if the Blazers don't make it to, to the pinnacle, not even just winning the championship, making it to the finals, he might leave. But he's one of the guys that you, one of the few guys that you really think, oh, he's going to stay here for maybe most of, if not his whole career. But I think as a fan, you're kind of losing out on that. For the players and for, again, people who are fans of workers getting what they should in terms of revenue, it's fantastic. It just really is. Yeah. Don't see guys taking pay cuts, even though they want to play together. Teams are willing to shell out money. I love the fact that the Nets are no longer down because Brooklyn, you know, just in general. Hmm. Um it's, it's cool how they've dug themselves out of that Billy King hole, how they persevered all these years, and they were able to land some these big prizes. 
after being a surprise last year and being a real, real, real surprise. That Nets team, they didn't give the Sixers all they could handle, but they were a thorn in their side. They made things very difficult for them, and they probably could have, they probably could have and should have won a second game in that series. And so now they've got the big prizes outside of Kawhi. You got Kevin Durant, you got Kyrie Irving. So it might be weird in Brooklyn, but it's going to be exciting in Brooklyn. Definitely. And they're going to be a contender in Brooklyn. So the Nets, who have, for their history, since they came from the ABA in New York, levied a territory tax on them, have been kind of downtrodden in the NBA. You know, they went to the finals with Kev, with Jason Kidd twice, but never really felt like they had a chance of winning. The Nets are going to be finally up there. The Clippers, same deal. Clippers have never won their division in their history. Yeah. Never won it. Never been in the conference finals. Never. They, I think they've been to the playoffs since uh, since they've been in Buffalo and San Diego seven or eight times in, in a 40-plus like, year span. Yeah, they were – I mentioned this with with uh, me and, uh, and Josh recorded. Uh, you can listen to that now on War on Anchor. Uh, we, we recorded on listen Saturday. To it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I was like, you know, people like him may not even remember, but definitely people younger than him don't remember how how much the Clippers were associated with losing for the most oh, of his God. history. Oh, it was – they played. They played a, a few games in Anaheim when we were like the middle of the nineties. Because I remember the Bulls played them um, in Anaheim, and it still had like the Mighty Ducks color, not the, the logo, but like the colors on the floor of the court. And that team was terrible. Man. Yeah. You know, remember Michael Oluwakandi? <laughs> they had all these guys who were just awful. And then to come up to the the height, the near heights that they did with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. And to just miss out, it's kind of funny the dichotomy of the Lakers and the Clippers. I went to Bradley. Both of the both of the Lakers and uh, Clippers' most famous play-by-play guys also went to Bradley University. Chick Hearn for the Lakers and Ralph Lawler for the Clippers. All right, yeah. And those guys are you know Ralph Lawler just retired last year. Those guys are legendary for uh, for the things that they not only for the the length of time that they call games, but uh, Chick Hearn coined the term slam dunk. And Ralph Lawler with Lawler's Law, bingo on threes. These are guys who made basketball what it is. But on one side of town, you had 16 championships. And on the other side of town, you know, you had um, Clipper Darrell. And that was about it. You know, a few years with Corey McGetty and Darius Miles. and Yeah, that youth movement. And Brand, you know, Q Richardson. They brought Brand over. Elton Brand, yeah. but they really haven't had they really haven't had anything to speak of in their history. And now they have one of the top five players in the NBA, one of the top ten players in the NBA, Montrez Harrell, who's an exciting, an exciting fucking player, and West Side's finest. Yeah, Pat Bev, man, Lord Pat. Pat Lord, yeah. I'm not. I'm not as connected as Gene is. I'll leave that to him. <laughs> right. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm a square dog, so he <laughs> <You> knew try. <laughs> but you got Pat Beverly out there, who's going to be Johnny Lawrence sweeping the leg on cats, man. It's, yeah, they 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 going to be they going to be beastly on that perimeter. Man. Think how think how wild those games are going to be at Staples Center 
for the first time in so long. Like, oh, yeah. The Clippers were good when the Lakers were, were decent. And but they were the Clippers were really just coming up when the Lakers won that second championship over Boston. So they never really saw and they never saw Prime Kobe as a good Clipper, as a really good Clippers team. So now you got LeBron and AD on one side, Kawhi and Paul George on the other side. That Staples Center, I can't I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. That has that has to be one of the opening games, open the night, LA the Battle of LA, man. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. So you you can't mess around with that because that's that's the most interesting thing in the league right now is what are those two teams going to do? And them sharing the same building and all that. This is gonna be amazing. But before we go, I I, I just want to say the the what thing that jumps out at me about this whole stuff is that I think when you look at back a couple of years ago or a few years ago, back when Everything about this era revolved around LeBron and how he how he redid, you know, player uh, self self, uh, uh, you know, how, how players define themselves and how they how they made their moves. You know, it was about, you know, it, it seemed like it was just going to be one or two good teams every year. But now you got more talent spread out across the league than ever. And these players are pretty much corrected themselves but yeah it's, it's getting it's getting crazy in the league i, I, I think i, I like I, I definitely get what you say about you know what how it was back when we were coming up and players showing more you know because I, I know i know you, you're sort of torn in a way that you know you kind of long for that past era but you 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 like that the players are, are more have more power now and they they have more say in what their what their you know the the way that their careers are going to go the way that they unfold you know I'm more I'm more for that too I'm for the 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 authorship have these these players having authorship over their careers and like like I said I think they have sort of made a corrective in this in this past year whereas we through what Kawhi did and what you know. But in a lot part, what Kawhi has done, he's shown that he's shown again that you don't need a big three or a crazy all-star lineup to win a championship. And he's shown that everybody doesn't have to chase after LeBron. Like something we may have to chase after Kawhi now going forward. <laughs> but you know, that's but he's he's such he's the way he is personality-wise, it's like it's, it's sort of freed up a lot of different moves, I think, and a lot of more different ways of leadership, I would think. You know, sort of piggybacking off of what Josh has said, you know, like, like he said with me last week, uh, last weekend, and he's he's written about it too, read him on, uh, read his piece on Kawhi now. On read it! But, uh, yeah, I think, I really think that the league has self-corrected in a way to where, we're out of this Cleveland Golden State bunching now, and we have a we have a league where I think at least a third of the league may be going into this coming season. Like we may have a chance to win the title. And it's weird because it, it wasn't it wasn't really the the, play, the the league itself that did it, other than the change in the draft and the change in the draft lottery. Yeah, like the players did it. Yeah. Right, the players just kind of did it on their own. Yeah, you know, Brooklyn cleared cap space, but they could have come up way empty. 
the yep. Clippers, the Clippers had some open space, but they made a competitive showing of themselves. They didn't really tank. And that's what made it that's what made them interesting enough to get Kawhi and Paul George. You know, Paul George, that was his team, but again, he didn't have to go there. The players made these decisions. Yeah. I don't know if it was a league-wide thing where guys were just like, we want to team up, but we don't want to like pick up everybody on the playground and just play with one super gigantic team and then maybe play the other super gigantic team. But I really hope this brings more parity because it was funny. My, my guy just texted me. He's like, the NBA got hit with a little socialism finally. <laughs> if you really have socialism, you're supposed to have economic equality. Yeah, every team would have the same number of elite guys probably. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do that just because of where teams are. There's still going to be guys on the bottom. Uh, the Bulls are a little bit worse off than I thought they were going to be now. I don't know. It depends on how it goes when the season starts. But they still got yeah. guys in the waiting, ready to take the next step. Yeah. But you got the the Grizzlies of the world, the uh, the Magics of the world, even um, the Hornets of the world now with no Kemba. So they're going to have to take their time and, and rebuild themselves within a few seasons. But you, like you said, it's going to be men out there. It's going to be good quality games night after night after night. There's still going to be rest for, for guys, I bet. But not as much as we saw when you had – Cleveland or Golden State or San Antonio where they didn't have to win every game. They didn't have to play everybody every night before yeah, the they playoffs. They could take weeks off at a time, so it seemed like. Yeah. Right. Like even, even now the Stars are somewhat younger than I guess they were a few years ago when you had Kobe and Tim uh, Tim Duncan still at the forefront of the league. Yeah. Guys are a little bit younger now. Like they're approaching 30, but they're not 33 or 34. So not only is it good for good for the fans in that respect, it's good for the fans and they get to watch quality games on any given night, on any given basis, at any given time. Yeah, it's, it's going to be – yeah, you're not going to be able to miss really with – the schedule shouldn't be able to miss with any of the, the national televised games this year. And when you look at uh, – you know, <laughs> we were talking about the West Coast stuff, you know, uh, from what's been reported, you know, uh, the commissioner wants to get some of these West Coast games played earlier today, so – Oh, Maybe. they're not gonna like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, that's what I was thinking too when I when I first heard about that. I don't think they're gonna like having games start at five o'clock out there and stuff, bro. They, you know, <laughs> you ever see those bad those when they have the televised the baseball games early and like the I think it's the World Series. I see it happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I know they do it for the NBA Finals too when they want to get those prime time matinee slots. And you got those games starting on the West Coast at like 11 o'clock in the morning or, <laughs> or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You know how many people are getting off work trying to get to this game at 5 o'clock in L.A.? Yeah. They're not, not going to be going. That's, that's going to be stressful, man. But it, like I said, it's just going to be – it's really going to be a, a grand time for, for us fans of the league. You know, like I said, every week, every night is going to be a great ball to see. But – before we go, though, let's just pick up on the Bulls right quick. You mentioned them. And, you know, you wrote a good piece. I I, I pretty much agreed with you uh, in regards to what you – your your take on the moves that they made. But I think, you know, you, you in your piece, you spoke to a lot of the, you know, the frustration that fans have, have had and that have spoken through the, uh, you know, the uh, – Social media stuff, some in particular, you know, uh, 
shout shout out her loss. But uh, you know, it, 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 and I, I I you know I agree with that too. I I definitely I'm a fire guard packs guy. I'm not going off of that. I just I just give it up in regard. It's sort of like with with music acts. Like you may have a a, a bogus ass discography, but if you got a couple heaters. You know, I'm, I'm I might bump your heaters every now and then, you know. But I, I, like I said, the the picks, the the tr- the moves for Sadaransky and Young, uh, I think were are, are good moves. But they also can be maybe construed as moves that are more intended for a, a more finished team. And I think in the league now, as we talk about how how moves are being made now, and a uh, and a lot of it is based. A lot of what's being done now is based off of players' autonomy and the moves that they're making for themselves, the moves that they're making networking with each other and saying, I want to play with this guy, I want to play with that guy. But there have been a couple moves that we've seen over the, over the past year where team, the past couple years, I should say, where teams have made the, have taken the leap and took a risk on guys. And now you have Toronto taking the risk on Kawhi as this this case study now where it's like, well, if you take that risk, this is what can get you. And I think a lot of Bulls fans may look at that now and say, well, we have a team that doesn't know how to take those risks and they don't bother to take those risks. So why should we big them up for these smaller moves, these little penny ante moves that they're making? And I think they like you said, a week ago, you wrote your piece. You feel a little differently now. And I think I, I kind of agree with you now too. There's kind of reason for that because when you look at, you know, Westbrook was the talker this week. Like, I I didn't know why why he was the talker this week because I I knew he wasn't going to get traded. But you know, we Bulls fans sort of germ gen this up amongst themselves. Like, why aren't we in the running to get Westbrook? Why are we even trying to do this? Mm-hmm. And now he's you know the the trade has been made. They they ask you know they were. You know, Oklahoma City was inclined to make a move, and we have we're sitting here with a lot of young pieces that may have been attracted to him. Rookies, rookie scale contracts and the like. We didn't try, so I, I, I'm actually I'm gonna give it to the Bulls fans right now. The ones I don't think it's all you know, because definitely a lot of smart guys have felt that way that I see online. It's not just people being uh, overreactive. You know, I it, it's, I don't know. I, I I, I guess I, I, I'm kind of torn right now with the team, man. I, I, I like I like good moves. I, I, I can accept good moves. I can accept. I can look at a player like a Sadaransky and a, or Young and or even a, a Otto Porter for that matter and see what they can add to this team. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, they and it's, they're not adding that much, really. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I still stand by. I got to stand by what I said because I only wrote yeah, a week yeah. ago. You know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, hey. as a as and, a journalist, and I ran it, so you know, I got to stand by it too. But it's got to be at least six months before you come back and say, "Okay, I was wrong." Yeah, and, and that's and that's <laughs> a, right. That's that's the thing. Like we all we doing all this talk now. Let's let the season because this this, this I, I think this is a team that they have. If if you have. Laurie, uh, Levine, and Carter, 
if two of those guys show themselves to be borderline all-stars, if with the contribution that they should make to do that, mm-hmm. that's that's team that puts you squarely probably in a 35 to 45 win range. Right. And I really it's funny, I keep saying Wendell Carter in these trade talks, and he's the guy that not not over Lori Markinen, certainly, but he's the guy that I really, really want to see develop on this Bulls team. Because he is a defensive he is so such an intelligent defensive player. And you don't have as much rim protection as you did 10 years ago. It's not as high of a priority with teams shooting so many threes. Yeah. But he's also a guy that doesn't get – he's not going to get lost on a switch. As long as his legs stay healthy for on him for a while and he keeps in good shape, he's not a guy who will be on an island if an average perimeter player or even slightly above average perimeter player – switches on to him offensively. He can stay with those guys. And even if not, he knows how to get them into the right spots. He's always going to play the team defensive concept. That's what I really, really like about him. And that's one of the dope things, not to cut you off, but about the, the acquisitions this summer is that you have you, – the Bulls are going to be putting out lineups mostly where all their guys can play – defend multiple positions. Exactly. And you need that. You, you need that in this NBA. Plus, you got guys who are who are quality. Just I'm gonna say it again. These are quality NBA players, not just NBA players who can make a roster and, and play minutes, but quality NBA players who are gonna contribute and make your team better. Shout out to Raymond Felton, because you were definitely that first image in my mind right now. Hmm. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't stand Raymond Felton. <laughs> but Thaddeus Young is gonna give you double digit scoring and eight six to eight rebounds per night. And Sadoransky is going to give you tough defense. He can catch a lob if you need it. He can get up and get boards if you need it. He will get you assists if you need it. He will shoot the ball if you need it. These are guys who will fill in on spots where you need and make things less tough on the guys. Think about that. Zach Levine will be tasked to mostly focus on scoring and not necessarily distributing the ball where he's most comfortable. Laurie Markinen can be in his most comfortable role. You won't have to look for Carter to shoot the ball, but if he's working on his, you know, he shot threes, not necessarily made a lot of them before his injury, but that's somewhere where he's not going to shy away from. But you won't need him to take three threes a night. You maybe need him to take two and then do his work on the defensive end and get the short-range jump shot. So those moves are going to make the Bulls better. And if what we talked about is correct, the Bulls can be a team like what the Clippers were this season be competitive, be contending, be somebody. Basically, the, for these teams that are not getting the big free agents, this is like an audition. Yeah. This is an audition for that free agency class. I think the Nets fit that, fit that too. The Nets definitely did. Yeah. With uh, D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Didwitty and Karis LeVert and the analytics darling Joe Harris and Jared Allen. Yeah. They put themselves out there. They auditioned. They, came, they climbed out of their hole. They won a game against the Sixers. They made things tough on them in that fifth game, and they had a chance to win it, and then boom, you get KD and Kyrie. So when the next two years comes around, if, now this is a big if, this is where you can really get on guard (laughs) packs and the Bulls for not being willing to spend money most of the time. They're going to have to open up the wallets in two years because Kyle, we want Kyle back as a Bulls fan, and if they get Giannis, Kyle will be a Bulls fan again. Oh yes, <laughs> I'll definitely. I'll, I'll I'll throw all my journalistic integrity out the window. If Gian, if Giannis is a is a bull. 
in 2021. Kyle, Kyle been floating up I-94, man. He's taking the ferry up to Milwaukee. <laughs> but we need him back. <laughs> so the Bulls are going to have to really stand. They're going to have to stand up in the next two years. But that starts with who they've got right now. Yeah, yeah. That's there's, there's pretty much what it comes down to right now. Like, there's a, there's a two-year gap now. We know the Bulls aren't going to be a contending team in this two years, but they can be a team that makes themselves for makes themselves a right righteous landing spot. And for this next, it looks like the next bonanza is now going to be twenty twenty one for whoever it may be Giannis or you know Leonard's going to be back on the market. It looks like I think PG uh, PG yeah. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be some guys out there again, and you know we may be. <laughs> I, I I don't want to look at the at the bad future or the the darkest timeline. I don't want to look at that. You know, let's look at the fact that this is a team right now with good young talent. I don't know you now the coaching. You know, at the head, you know, they, there's still some questions, but they have gained some some interesting assistant. Uh, in this, in the rounding out the staff, mm-hmm. maybe that'll help some things as far as the the, the dynamic there. I I just want to see them play. I want to see them play in, in this next season, and then we'll make then we'll make some more uh you know this make some more uh, discernments about what 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 they're gonna be. I, I I think there's room for them to improve, and I think there's room for them to make themselves a you know an interesting team, much like. The Nets did in in the past couple of years in, in the East and and the Clippers out there too, and we saw what it what it meant for them this year. They said maybe in twenty twenty one that could be the Bulls, and and we could finally see the Bulls be a real contender again in this league. So, Most definitely, yeah. But uh, yeah, we we took up enough time, man. This, like I said, we we extended this little. We know session. y'all want more, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know you want more, but we 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 gotta get to moving ourselves, man. We got other stuff to do, but uh, definitely shout out to uh, Patricia Babcock who was on with uh, with Chris earlier. Definitely, thank you again. And uh, yeah, shout out to Chris, man, for for coming through and and doing doing this thing for us and um, doing some good coverage with the sky. You uh above above the clouds. Above the clouds, yeah. A new new above the clouds. You be able to you may be able to read that by the time you listen to this. If not, it'll be soon after. But uh, you know, yeah, this it's it's fun, man. Basketball all year, man. This, this is what we live for, man. So I, I I'm not gonna be mad at that, even if the Bulls suck, you know. <laughs> A lot of people act like, you know, I mean the Bulls Man, I, I love the Bulls. I, I, I don't love. I, I'm always gonna love the Bulls, but it's like I love basketball too. I love the NBA. So if if, if the NBA is popping like this, I, I'm not tripping, man. You know, I'm not tripping at all. So this this has been fun, man. Another another crazy day. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how the cycle. I, I want to see all the takes now going forward in the next 24 hours. That is gonna be too. So it's it's you no know, this popcorn stuff right now, man. Get your popcorn out and, and enjoy. And uh, you know, we'll we gonna we'll steal ourselves and get ourselves ready for you know for the coming season. This, you know, this is again this is again where where you feel good about the season starting before Halloween now. True. We don't have to wait as long. Yeah. So, yeah. It was know. great last year and I can't wait for more of it. Yeah, so it's, that's what's up, man. It's it's like I say the NBA's doing it now. They they're greedy with that limelight and, and we we're we're all the better for. It. So Chris Pennant. 
I'm Kyle Means. This is War Media, man. War on Anchor. Subscribe, share, shout us out, man. Show us love and we'll show it right back. So uh, in the meantime, keep bouncing. We'll holler at you.